Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, and you guys know what we do. If oh, you don't know what we do by now. But, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're studying deeply into the Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger school of investing. We call it rule one, rule number one. It's like the school of rock for investors. We're sort of, you know, we're against the man. We're against the man. Oh. And then Buffett's the man. And that might be confusing, but that's us. We're, we, are, we are out to get you guys thinking, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. I can become financially independent on my own wheels here. I can learn how to invest. I don't have to take it, whatever they're giving me out there for 20 years of 0% return or whatever's happened multiple times in history. Don't have to do that. You can pick your own companies and they're not, it's not ridiculously hard like they make it out to be. And they, and it turns well, out that if you buy 15 companies, you are statistically nearly as diversified as having 50 to 100 companies. So, we're continuously debating, go. really, all of the all of, afore, all of the aforementioned. Yeah. And we're taking questions today. And we're taking questions. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with everything up till we uh, are the school of Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, value the school invest. Of, the school of rock. The school of rock. You didn't agree with that, right? No, no, I'm with you. School of oh, rock, okay. sure. School of rock. It's okay. cool people doing cool things. I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so last time we talked about stick it to the man. <laughs> you just you are the man. That's the thing that I think I'm, you don't get. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. um, yeah. Well, don't stick it to me. Exactly. I don't want that. <laughs> Nobody ever wants it like that. Um, but I think as the man, you talking about all the details and teaching. A non-man, me, is ultra important. So I give you great kudos for. Thank you, thank kadoos. you, my daughter. Kadoos, as they say on the housewives, for all I of that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> give you maximum kadoos. All right, let's do it. Questions um, and answers today. Yeah, but okay. So we took. Uh, a so last time we talked about Charlie Munger's meeting and Warren Buffett's letter, mm -hmm. which. Anybody who missed that, go watch the meeting, go read the letter. It's worth it. Yes. And the time before that, we took Julie's question and we talked all about uh, derivatives, options, and what is up with those in the market. And at the very end of that episode, we were talking about put options. Put options. And I said, I will put in my notes so that we come back to it. And guess what? I put it in my notes and here I have written down put options why have them? And I underlined. Are you why intentionally punning put options that you put in your notes? Oh, put, yeah, that was super not intentional, but I wish it was. It was pretty good. 
So what did you put in your notes? Put options? Why have them? Because Why we had because options? we had a big debate about how frankly I think Charlie Munger was saying much more eloquently what I was trying to say, which was all of these fancy financial shenanigans uh, make the markets much more dangerous and it's not true investing. So we were debating on that episode whether or not having any kind of options was a good idea. And Well, let's explain real briefly why these financial shenanigans get out of control. Get out of control. Right? Yeah. Why would Charlie think that they're dangerous? Because, <clears throat> you know, they're not shenanigans initially. They're actually really practical. Um, options are one of the most important ways of ensuring that if you're a, let's say that you make pizza dough, you need to buy uh, wheat in order to grind it and make it in, into flour. <clears throat> and you need to buy that wheat at a set price. If it, if for some reason there's a big shortage of wheat, you could easily go out of business because your competitor, your, your uh, pizza making people are not going to be able to pay for the pizza dough that you're going to sell them at that price. That's commodities though. I think that that's a different category than what Charlie was talking about. Oh, true. But, let me just, everybody understand that this is how options got started, is that somebody wanted to protect the price that they were going to have to pay for something like wheat. And the farmer wants to protect the price he gets. Mm -hmm. And so there's a natural market there that is legit market. It's, there's, nothing, um, there's nothing speculative about that. In fact, it's countering the speculation that each of these companies is taking in their business and they want to get rid of the risk in that speculation for a commodity price that could get out of control and could ruin ruin their business for that year. And so there's a natural born combination there between someone who wants to sell someone an option to buy their wheat at a set price and someone who wants to buy the option to buy the wheat at the set price. And um and these guys enter into a contract, right? So it's like, okay, we're locking in the future price, the future delivery of this wheat at mm -hmm. this price. And mm -hmm. so that's a kind of optionality. And then as as we said last or a couple times ago, we were talking about how call options got started um, with warrants that were a sweetener for coming in and putting money into my new company. I will give you mm -hmm. shares of stock at this price. And then if things go well, you can buy more, right? Instead of me just giving you a huge pile of stock, I'm going to have you buy more, which would be good for the company, and will bring more money into the company. And you get a deal because it won't be a risky type investment at that point in time, right? You have a right to buy more at $60, let's say, in two years. So that's that's kind of how all this got rolling. And then where it gets out of control is that you've got the wheat farmer and you've got the baker, and they've made a contract. And that contract is a financial document. And that financial document can then be sold to someone who wants to speculate on the contract in one way or the other. It can be sold or it can be bought. People can take those contracts and resell them. And then they can have contracts on the contracts. And you start to have derivatives on derivatives. And that's where Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger get off the train. It's like you, they want they want there to be some kind of regulation that prohibits this multiplying power of derivatives. 
And what happened, of course, we talked about before with GameStop well, just, is that I don't they think they've actually said the that, group. just to be clear. I'm not sure they've actually come out and said, oh, we don't think that there should be, that there should be, le- we, or they haven't said, we think that there should be regulations uh, constraining right. these derivatives. Just, I just don't want to say that just, if they haven't said that. But, you know, well, they talk it, a lot about the um, negative implications of all right. of the gambling going on. And, right. and I think certainly you could extrapolate very easily from that what you just said, but they just haven't actually said yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, back in the early 2000s, Buffett came, uh, was was printed up a, a story about this in Fortune or Forbes. And uh, he just said, this is a nuclear bomb. It's a financial nuclear bomb. What is? Derivatives. Huh. Like derivatives on derivatives, huh. where huh. you really don't have any idea how many people own insurance on the house. Yeah. You know, yeah. you burn the yeah. house down and it only pays once. <laughs> a thousand yeah. people are ready to get paid. Was he ever right <clears> about <throat> that? Yeah, I mean, no kidding. Eight years early. It sunk, and, and that's exactly what, of course, sunk the, or froze up the financial financial system around the world in 2008 and now the same idea that is that you have short positions against GameStop that are there are more stock shares borrowed and shorted borrowed and sold and have to be replaced than there are shares in the world mm-hmm. and when that happens you've got another nuclear bomb you've got somebody if it all gets really bad all at once, somebody's going to go very, very broke. And as a counterparty, they're going to take a bunch of people down with them. So, for example, if Robin Hood didn't protect itself, right? The regu- I mean, the regulators came in and said, you know, they put a gun at Robin Hood's head and said, you will protect yourself or we're going to shut you down right now. And to protect yourself, you need to go out and raise $2.7 billion or something right now, this morning. Or we're gonna we're gonna close you down, and they did it. Um, they they did a combination of things that made it work. So you know this is, but but if Robin Hood had gone under, or not been closed down in a coherent way, then all of these people who have a brokerage account at Robin Hood would be sitting in La La Land. They'd be like, wait a second, where's my money? Who controls you know the stock? Let's take our question about that since we're okay. talking about it anyway, and then we can swing around to put options. All right, cool. If I can there bring we go. the file up. Yeah, right and meanwhile, there. of course, a number... Oh, you got it? Okay, here we go. Hey, Phil and Danielle. Uh, my name is Jacob from Ottawa, Canada. And this is more of a question about the logistics with respect to brokerages. Uh, recently, the brokerage Robinhood restricted selling on GameStop, citing collateral requirements from the DTCC. And I was just wondering if this was a result of Robinhood being a no commission fee trading platform, you know, because less money they have on hand, uh, the less collateral. And from this precedent, do you anticipate the same risks for other no commission fee trading platforms? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. And, and it really raises an, an issue. And that is that um, there's no such thing as a free trade those don't exist. So one of the problems with Robinhood is that they had to fess up to directing trades to very specific um, uh, parties that would actually execute the trade in exchange for a fee. They were selling deal flow, essentially. Yep. Selling so deal flow. what was happening is that 
the way I mean they 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 made money, right? Like nobody thought that this was like some sort of nonprofit out there to do good. And the fact that they didn't charge commissions meant they were making money some other way and they just hid it for a long time. But the way they made money was they were selling to certain huge funds, as far as we know, maybe to others as well, um, the, what retail investors were buying and then slowing down those trades so that the funds, as they got the information, could then come in. And sometimes that would mean that retail investors buying or selling would get a worse price than they otherwise would. Almost so, always, actually. Yeah, yeah, probably almost always. Almost always. And so all of that happened, I don't know, maybe it was out there. I never really read anything about it. But it became very, very clear very quickly how they made money once uh, once the GameStop dra- drama started going. I think and, it was out there. I think I've talked about it before. I don't remember if I talked about it here, but I've certainly talked about it other places where... There's no such thing as a, a zero fee trade. What happens is that there's a spread between um, the price the person who's selling gets paid and the price that the person's buying pays. Mm-hmm. Those are different prices. It's called the bid and the ask. And you can see those bid and ask prices spread open wide. And sometimes there's a dollar between them, right? And, you know. One is one is a nickel and the other one's a dollar five, right? It's like just hmm. gigantic space open up there in an illiquid for in an, an illiquid, illiquid stock or something, right? Yeah. Or an illiquid option, mm-hmm. right? And and so there's there's all this sort of nef- hidden. I want to call it nefarious. It's hidden from the naive uh, and retail um, trader who actually thinks they're getting a, a free trade but doesn't have enough information to realize that they're getting charged more per share than they would have paid at a place like Interactive Brokers or some a more professional site, right, that uh, that works real hard to get the lowest deal for its clients because that's what its clients expect and are sophisticated clients and they're not going to they're not going to stick around if you don't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's where Robinhood was was making its money. That's where it still makes its money. It's, it's, it has to have a spread that covers its cost and makes it a profit. And that's paid for by the retail yeah. investor. It's not illegal to do it. It's totally no. and, and that's fine. And so really, um, Jacob, in the, answer to your question is like, they're all, they're all doing it. And they're, Robin Hood set off a, a sort of a trend. Schwab jumped in on the bandwagon. Now, basically, retail investors are paying zero. If you're paying more than zero, yeah, you're paying too much. And then each company is just finding out how it makes money on the retail investor. There's got to be some way to do it. Yeah. And I think this all came out in a really dramatic way because the, I'm going to get all these names wrong, so I'm not even going to try, but the fund or the firm that came in partially to fund, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm completely losing my mind. What's the company we're talking? Robinhood. Right. <laughs> so Robinhood needed money. Right. They went out to their friends overnight. They said, we need, what was it? 2.7 billion, something like right. that. Um, yeah, and a number of funds slash firms stepped up and invested the money with them. And one of those, or maybe more than one, but definitely one, was one of the funds slash firms that had been getting the deal flow information. So now they were going to become also an owner of Robinhood as well as getting this deal flow information. And on top of that, they were one of the major short sellers of GameStop. 
And that was where the scandal started to appear <laughs> of the extremely incestuous Wall Street cronyism going on in this situation. So that's really, I think, what a lot of the headlines were about and um, and why people started getting scared that Robinhood was just going to steal the money of all these retail investors and was actively trying to make the price go down so that their friends, quote unquote, their cronies, the Wall Street guys, wouldn't get squeezed in the same way. But what they were actually doing was, like my dad just said, um, really just meeting their clearinghouse requirements. And they had to do that or they it could have been a massive, massive problem for the financial system. So and I it, think they're going to get their tails sued off because it had the exact effect of protecting the hedge fund guys that these um, Wall Street bets people were trying to hammer. It they really had, did. They had to. I mean, I'm, I don't want to do defend them. I do not. But they had to do it. Oh, they were forced to do it, or they'd have to shut them down. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they had to do it. So. <laughs> but, but it did but, have that uh, effect. The, it was like no wonder those guys were ticked off. Totally, Ooh, too. To the worst image you could ever put out there for a company that's trying to be like, we're so on top, of, we're so in favor of all the little guys, and it turns <laughs> out that the whole time they're just like raking money in Screwing off of the little guy, everybody. Um, yeah. But to answer the question, the no commission part of it had nothing to do with them not having enough capital to clear their trades that would have it would have been that situation had they had commissions or not had commissions because there are set amounts that the sec requires for them to keep and that situation was just so quick and so massive that they weren't capitalized well enough for it but not due to their commissions or lack thereof too bad they yeah exactly to the point jacob there it wasn't due to the zero commission it was um, it was due to their ignorance of what might happen yeah, yeah. out there on their, on their own markets. And to be fair and, to these and guys. Interactive Brokers, by the way, did the same thing. One of the most respected brokers right. out there, which handles many professional accounts and really has <laughs> not a very friendly <laughs> online trading system. Like right. they're not set up for like somebody going on and just clicking some buttons and buying some stock. Right. So, no. Um, they had the same problem and their chairman who is insanely smart and really like total genius, Thomas Ped Pettyfee, I want to say. Pettyfee. Pettif um, yeah, he did a Sorry, few Thomas. interviews and explained what was going on and said, this is a really dangerous, dangerous scenario that we're in. And there was really no other choice that they could have, uh, either company could have done. I called him up once. You called him up. I did. Yeah. Um, and and got through. I said, uh, you know, we teach a lot of people every year and we really like to get a really good commission rate for everybody. <laughs> I got through to him. and uh, That's awesome. And Mel Melissa had noticed that he's he was um, raising 100 jumpers, horses, and has a big horse farm outside of New York City. And, and he's from Europe and there's a lot of whole horse thing going on in Europe. And so um, I just said, in, and when he got on the phone, I just said, hey, I just noticed that you guys, you know, we wanted, we wanted to do something with you guys. And I noticed that you're into horses. We are too. We've got, it said, get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. 
Oh my god. <laughs> uh, and in the meantime, he's writing a note to his secretary, going, "Who is this person Why you put through? Why did you let this person in into my head? <laughs> he wants to talk to me about horses for God's sakes." Yeah, that was embarrassing. Somehow, having seen some of his interviews. That seems really par for the course. <laughs> seems I, like I don't think you should a, take it personally. <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't. I, and his customer service for IB, maybe it's getting better, but it is the worst in the planet. Everybody <laughs> follows his way of communicating <laughs> with everyone. It's like you talk to customer service and they go, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> you call them up. I mean, I'm running a fund over there. You know, It's like, hey, could I have a little courtesy? They've gotten better, I have to say. We've gotten better, but uh, yeah, not not a typical retail site, and and it didn't start that way. It started off as an options only kind of a, a basically an options only, and now they have I think eighty. I mean, he claims he invented Black Shoals. I think without oh uh, maybe not. without really telling anybody. I think there's a well, lot of may people. Have. There's I I mean he's he's like a certifiable genius. He's yeah. invented tons of stuff. Um, I think there's a few people who claim to invented Black Shoals without Ed, being Ed Thorpe another one. <laughs> yeah. So you know, did it. but you know, there is actually a scientific theory that there's kind of a swirling of knowledge, and a discovery can be made legitimately by the same people separately. By sorry, by different people <laughs> separately at the same time. And they legitimately discovered that separately, but it just was because the general knowledge of the time all added up and they came to the same conclusions. And this has happened a number of times with scientific discovery. So it's very possible. Oh, it absolutely has. I multiple mean, people discovered the formula Black to price options. Now here's the fun part is that Black and Scholes put it together and wrote up the papers and they did all this stuff, mm-hmm. Myron Black. And um, they basically I think went broke in their own company oh, or no. damn near uh, in long long term capital which is a huge scandal oh, that, that was they were the supposed to be the super capital. low risk group and they had two Nobel Prize winners and 14 super super stars and they lost a huge amount of their personal fortunes in this error of assuming that efficient market theory would apply in all cases and it didn't hmm. a black swan came along and tore them up while the other two guys that are making modest claims for Black Shoals are super rich, <laughs> I will say. The guys that wrote the paper, not so much. The guys that say they did it, huge money. Huge. So maybe they're maybe it's true. But I you know, like Isaac. Also, Newton, like who cares that are living their best life? Wait, I have to I have to show you how smart I am. Oh, Isaac okay. Newton and and um Gottfried Leibniz invented calculus at the same time. Did you just look that up? Now, I knew this from back okay. in philosophy days. Oh. Um, I had to look up Leibniz's first name. I don't remember it. But, I mean, <laughs> calculus is fairly complicated, and these guys came up with it at the same time. Also, the whole theory of evolution. I was going to say Darwin, something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, somebody else. Some, yeah, another guy. Whose name I do not remember. I feel so sad. Like, I, I hate to even talk about it because it's like they've been lost and nobody remembers or cares. But I know you feel bad, and but Darwin wasn't even going to publish because it was so uh, scary with regard to Christianity hmm. and the dogma that was out there, right? Hmm. Um, that he was forced to publish when this guy started to publish. Hmm. 
Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hmm. And completely independent research, independent thinking, the whole deal. But ultimately it was Darwin because he'd done all this research on the on the HMS Beagle on his trip through um, the Galapagos Islands mm-hmm. where they... Yeah, there was a lot of evidence that you change the environment and things change. It's like, you know, animals become different species. I think it was called the HMS Beagle. That's really adorable. (laughs) I love the way the British name ships. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Just call it after my dog. (laughs) Or or Beagle will be the name of some heroic naval guy and I'm going to get email. I know I am. Or both. All right, next, next. So I think that, that's pretty uh, well. No, don't worry about take... fee, fee-less places going under. They're not going to go under because of fee-lessness. Yeah. They are still making money out there. What yeah. fee-lessness and, and, does and is it that. consolidates the industry into big guys because you have to be big to do it. Mm, that's an interesting point. Yeah, and I would say, like, just know how your brokerage is making money off of you. You know, it's always, I always think for myself, I just like to know how companies are making money off of me. And these days, it didn't, it used to be very obvious you bought something and that's how they made money off of you. These days, so many companies are making money off of our data, off of our clicks, off of um, tracking us in so many ways. And, we're becoming more aware of that. And I think that that's a really good thing in general. I hope it pans out well for us as a, as a species, Mm. but I think just as a, as a person individual, I always like to know how companies are making money off of me because then I can make an informed choice. You know, if you know that Google's tracking you and now they're going to say that they're not so much tracking us anymore, but they totally are. If we know that they're doing it, then I can choose to use Google or I can choose to use DuckDuckGo or I can choose to use, you know, something else. Like, it's nice to make the choice. And I think that that's important. Frankly, in my investing practice, that's really important. And it's important yeah. just uh, just as a human to, like, stay aware of what and we're I, doing. And what you can do to figure out if your broker is screwing you or not is pretty simple. You need a friend. Um, or two computers and two accounts, but a friend is easier. Like I could call up Danielle and say, let's go in. I just want to check this this brokerage account and see how they're doing on commissions with me and what kind of spread I'm getting, right? So now that, let's say the commissions are zero. Mine aren't zero, by the way. I have to pay commissions. This is the other way they make money. Again, you're the man and I don't <laughs> feel sorry for you. <laughs> but it's true. The man has to pay commissions. And, and, Thank goodness. And the people don't have to pay commissions. Somebody's so got to. Somebody's got to. So what you can do but is- But does that mean that your spreads are better? That's what I want to know. Um, that's what we check regularly. And in fact, I would say definitely they are. 100%. They are definitely better. <laughs> because, I would say so. Because businesses have purchasing power and can go elsewhere. Let me tell you how not. good how good Interactive Brokers is. And I, I, I make nothing on Interactive Brokers, so this is just absolutely gratis. Um, we have the option of using deal makers, like a, a company that will go out and buy 
uh, you know, a hundred thousand shares or a million shares of a stock uh, for us. They'll go into the market and they know we're trying to get a million shares and they'll take two or three or four days or a week or whatever it takes them. <clears throat> if there's not a, if there's not a, a lot of liquidity in this company and they do that for us for a fee. Okay. And the fee is, but you why? Know, Cause you like, can't be bothered to do it yourself. No, because it takes, well, yeah, can't be bothered as in they're going to take up, uh, hours and hours to get this done. And we'd rather pay them than sit there for hours on a computer. I never right? knew about this. All right. Okay. So this is how most of the big guys do it, right? So if you're running a big fund and you've got billions of dollars, you don't go in and trade it yourself. You have somebody do it for you over at Jefferies or Goldman or somebody like that. Mm. They and, and so they charge for that. But it turned out we got better fill. This is called, when you, when you get your order completed, it's called a fill. F, not for me. It's F-I-L-L. <laughs> I am the man. They they named you realize the that's most important. Not, it's not a compliment. <laughs> just, just want to make sure you before you get it twisted. <laughs> so this fill the fill price the the price you actually got the stock at so eleven dollars and forty nine you know cents or something. Um, it turned out we were getting better fills than these guys were doing it ourselves on interactive brokers and we were getting it done quicker. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So the, I mean, interactive brokers is very, very good at what they do. They're, they're all mm. online all over the world. They've got, I don't know, 15 different companies they can go to, to get orders filled. And they, they wrote, they, they wrote the order automatically to the one that's quickest or cheapest, depending on what you want. We really should get them to pay us for these. <laughs> really should. Like, I'm going to go back to Tom. I was just going to say. Tom, Peter Fee and chat. I was Tom, just going to say, I use them me? because I can buy shares on most stock exchanges that I want to buy shares on. And it's like not just US, like I can buy them in Europe and it's great. It's just easy. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, they got like 85 stock markets in the, in one platform. It's really good. Uh, yeah, they should pay anyway, us for all this. They, yeah, we should probably send them this episode. But guys, <laughs> choose whatever broker you want. <laughs> I, we don't care at all. Just, by the way, lots of people love Charles Schwab. I've heard so many good things about Charles Schwab to the point where I keep saying to myself, cool. I should open a Schwab account and just check it out. So there's another one that I've heard great things about. I've heard great things about Fidelity and Fidelity did, again, just from what I've heard, a really good job during the whole GameStop craziness and they did not have to uh, bring in outside investors and they didn't shut down trading. So um, everybody who owned with Fidelity was able to purchase more GameStop if they wanted to in that situation, which I think was a very big deal at that time. So yeah, there you go. Now, now it's more even. Okay, let me finish my thought too before we, we move on. And that is that you get a friend like I could get with Danielle oh, yeah. and we just go like, okay, we're both going to buy Apple computer or, or some small company is probably what you do to see how the order field goes. And you just count it down three, two, one, like how many shares you're going to buy. And you do the order exactly the same way on two totally different brokerages. So we might test interactive brokers against say Thinkorswim or Tasty Trade or you know, Schwab or whoever, right? And mm -hmm. um, and you say three, two, one, go. And you you submit the order and see where you get filled. 
and sometimes it can be so like the different. idea is you both click same buy time. or whatever it is yeah, click at buy. the exact same time yep and see what price you each get yep so it's not that you're trying to like takes, too. oh and see how long it yeah. takes yeah. how long is it going to take so we we're we're a little bit sophisticated with ib and we can choose to have the order get put through right away and we'll inevitably pay more and um, we might pay a higher commission even. You know, it might go through an order site that is charging more. Um, but we needed to get that done right now for some reason. Let's say mm-hmm. we know that the GameStop guys are going to start shorting or going to start selling GameStop, so we want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, or we just want the best, the best deal and we're willing to wait. I and also there, think when you're dealing with, you know, comparatively small amount of money, it's not really going to make that much difference. Do you think so? Um, it won't when you're buying positions that are, you're long as a stock owner. I wouldn't worry about even pennies. Okay. Yeah. That's so what you're, I, yeah. You're buying a company at $50 and three cents and I got it for $50 and one cent. Right? Exactly. Okay, they nicked you for two cents a share, but you're a small investor and it's not a big deal and you're not doing orders all day long. And, and day, I'm not trying to get day. it filled in the next second. Like I right. can wait and yeah. Now that's all true. Now, if you start doing options as a small investor, then all that's well, Yeah, that's window. a whole other, whole You're other. dealing in pennies then. And, and then those pennies are extremely important. The, the difference between one cent could be the difference between making a really, a trade you want to do and a trade you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. And often it does, one cent is important. Yeah. So, right. Okay, there we go. Okay, good. Done with that one. So Thanks, next time we will chat with more questions. Thanks everybody. All right, you guys. Enjoy it. Time to go. Bye. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.